dressed up, get dressed up, confess up The worst of my feelings are very mischieving I struggle and blame myself It's my fault Welcome from the depths of darkness to the light of success This podcast is brought to you by our sponsors Ellis Original and Compass 9 Media Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Chris Wick Podcast Welcome to the depths of darkness, to the light of success. I'm your host, Chris Swick. Today I got Fresh Kills, a legend from Toronto, producer, MPC player, DJ, you name it, he's got it all under his belt. You know, uh, Fresh, why don't you give us a little rundown on who you are and stuff and what you're all about? Hey man, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, let's get a little rundown, huh? It's a long, it's a bit of a laundry list. Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, my name is Fresh, or go by Fresh Kills. My last name's Kilgore, so the name comes, it's not Kills as in, like, Violent Fresh Kills, it's actually, like, my nickname was Kills for forever, so it's kind of like saying Fresh Chris, except, you know. So Fresh Kills, I go by, um, I'm an engineer and producer, music producer, um, and I'm sort of mostly, probably known mostly for my, uh, as a performer, um, on the NPC, on the pads, uh, finger drummer and live beat performer and uh multiple juno nominated and um won a bunch of battles and you know selfish or a humble brag humble brag humble brag yeah that's me so what what was it like like growing up are you from toronto then yeah i'm i'm a downtown kid i grew up downtown toronto um nice what whereabouts i'm i'm a rich kid Uh, a rich kid (laughs) i am a rich kid Nice. Yeah, I grew up in Rosedale. I, I grew oh. up. Um, yeah, I I'm not from old money. Um, I'm not like one of those like generations of money kind of thing. But uh, but my dad was a my dad was a successful cat, and uh, I went to private school when I was a kid, and I wore a uniform. Uh, a little you'd you'd rob me for my lunch money. Most, you, you know, you, <laughs> so um, how would you say your and I would have deserved that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was a little, sh- I was a little, sh- I can swear, right? Oh, you can swear. You can do it. I was a little rich want. shit for a while. Nice, and, nice. uh, that's not really true, but yeah. Yeah, it's all good. So how, how would you say your relationship growing up with your family was like good, bad, you know, had his ups and downs and. I got to tell you, man. Uh, I mean, I, I've been luckier than dirt, man. I've been, I'm the luckiest man on the planet as far as I'm concerned. Uh, you know, my folks, m- my parents didn't have it easy. My mom, uh, my mom was a refugee from Hungary in the, in the, uh, late fifties. My dad, um, my dad had a terrible, I, I terrible is maybe a pretty bad relationship with his dad. He was an only child. And, uh, and so, you know, my parents, because, you know, they didn't really have it, have a great where they came from. They, they really made life for me and my sister. They tried to support us and raise us as best they could. And so, I had a great relationship with my folks. I still do. My folks are still together. Um, they've supported me every step of the way. They they come to all my shows, man. Like my seven year old folks show up at my shows, and the joke used to be is that they they were worried about embarrassing me at shows, and they would try to like disguise themselves. And so <laughs> my folks would show up in like black turtlenecks and try to be <laughs> <laughs> fit in, and. Uh, and which was really, I mean, it's cute. Obviously it's cute. And, but the funny thing was I was, I was never really that embarrassed about it. I, like, and there's something about this. I don't know. Like when your folks come to your shows, 
an interesting thing happens. Like, it's kind of like, you know, like where one of your friends has a dad or a mom that's like, that smokes weed and yeah, like yeah. is around you guys who smoke cool, weed. The cool parents, I guess. Like, yeah. They had those ones, yeah. Totally. Well, there's something about it because it, cause it makes everybody else feel more comfortable about, because it's almost like this tacit approval from another generation. It's like, my mom and dad are here and if you want to get fucking drunk and have a good time at my show, that's fucking awesome. And they're fully about it. And my dad, and fucking buy my dad a drink. God damn it. Make sure he, he, maybe make sure he crashes the car on the way home. Like, you know, like it was, it's this really great. It actually is awesome. And I always say this to other people's parents when they come to shows, because parents will come to shows and they'll feel weird. Yeah. And I immediately, I will beeline towards them and I will just, and I make sure I let every parent know. I'm like, listen, your presence here means a lot to us that you're here. For sure. For sure. You know? It shows that they have the love for you and stuff like that. Dude, I am the most blessed motherfucker on the planet. And, uh, yeah. And, you know, I, like I talk to my mom and dad every other day and, you know, like I really, it, it's funny. It's funny. Cause I, I, I spent a lot, a long part of my life especially in hip hop music and in rap and music in general, hiding where I was from, embarrassed kind of about where I was from. Uh, why, why, why were you embarrassed though? I mean, it, it doesn't like do anything. People f- would think you got everything handed to you or. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. Um, yeah. I spent, I spent most of my life kind of working my ass off to kind of deserve a lot of the stuff that I had sort of been given at different times. Like, um, and, uh, and it's hard too. Cause yeah, I mean, you know, DJ Dopey, for example, used to rip, just fucking rip on me real bad about it. He'd be like, is this play, you know, we'd be going to a diner after a show and he'd be like, is this, is this Rosedale enough for you? And, uh, and you know, what's funny is like that shit actually fucked me up. That shit hurt because okay. I was like, cause I spent a long time really, I worked on myself for so long to like, just as not, an individual. Yeah, and to not be one of those fuckboys, because that's the thing. I, and I always say this too, and this is going to come up a lot in our conversation about me coming up. Yeah. I didn't really have a ton of role models per se. I had a lot of people that I didn't want to become, if that makes sense. And what was your main one you didn't want to become, I guess, if you want to put it out there? I had friends in high school. I had a lot of friends in high school. Uh, who I'm sorry, I had a lot of friends in high school. I had friends in high school and people I knew in high school that could have done anything they fucking wanted in their entire life. They could have done anything. They could have gone anywhere. They could have been anything. They had every opportunity in the world to do everything they fucking wanted to do. And I've saw, I've seen so many of those people just piss it away. And that there's nothing like, I don't think there's anything more pathetic and fucked up than that, you know? And, and I have friends. I still, that I, I don't really, I don't really associate too much. I don't say associate. Like I still have friends that are like those sad people that are still, I still know them. And they're like, they just never did anything with their lives. And they're like, they never knew what to do. And the other thing too, is like, and this is, a, this is a weird one. Cause who gives a fuck, who gives a fuck about, you know, rich people that don't know what the fuck to do with their lives. Um, but it, some of those people are really, really fucking sad. And they're really like, I don't know how to say it. Um, I immediately just didn't want to be those people. I, I just didn't, didn't want to have anything to do with that. And I didn't want to be, you know, like when I went, when I left high school, I want to get as far away from 
I was either going to go from Toronto, I was either going to go to Vancouver or Halifax, the furthest, two furthest distances I could possibly go. Yeah. Um, because I just didn't want to, I didn't want to, this, the whole high school thing was being in a private school was really it just, I didn't like the people. I didn't really get a, I had great friends and get me wrong, but I just didn't want to be those types of people. Um, no, for sure. I hear what you're you saying. Like, I've had those same types of relationships too, where people come from those types of lives and stuff like that. But I don't want to grow up and be like them either. You know, I wanted to pave my own way and I'd pave my own way the hard way too some days, but yeah, this is what it is, man. You know, and, working a lot on my personal development and one of them was putting out this podcast lately so like there you go no better time than now to do something for sure and 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 there's a it's also too like there's a sense of responsibility it's like if you're a healthy person that has your feet under you and you have you know like you figured something you know none of us figured everything out but like there is a responsibility to to you know whatever privilege that you have there is a sense of responsibility in the sense of like, if you have shit, you really do have a responsibility to like respect what you have, respect what you've been given and utilize it to help people and be like, you know, as best as you can. I mean, we're, some of us are better than that, better at that than others. And it's not, it's not to be judgmental of anybody, but, um, fuck it, man. We have first world problems. Thanks. Thank God for that. You know, yeah, yeah, for sure. So, so did you end up going to university or post-secondary after you're done high school there? Or? Yeah, I would say probably the, the most formative thing that I ever did, the most biggest decision I ever made was was to go to Halifax Okay. after high school. And um, and I was not listening to hip-hop music in high school at all. I was, I was like, I was, I was listening to rock and metal and uh, I suppose some trip-hop stuff, like some electronic shit, but not really like hip-hop wasn't really like my thing. And I, and I specifically remember, like I loved Rage Against the Machine. It might, might've been the closest I got or Portis Head and Back and some of that stuff. But um, I remember specifically a friend of mine, who, I had this one friend who used to show me, this, this is kind of cliche, but he's like the one black guy in my school or my grade. Of course we were homies for some reason. His name was Niapa. And he was like, he was like, I don't even say my DJ, but he was like a DJ. He he didn't DJ, but he showed, he brought so much music to everyone. Yeah, yeah. And he like put me up on so much music and he got really excited about Cypress Hill and he showed me Insane in the Membrane. And I remember just being, I remember listening to Insane in the Membrane and thinking it was trash. Just being like, this is trash. <laughs> I was like, in, Insane in the Membrane, Insane in the Brain? Like, what? Like, whatever like fuck that you know give me something else um so yeah so to say cypress hill wasn't on the top of your list eh i was no man well and it's important i think it's important too because like i retroactively discovered hip-hop music like i wasn't that wasn't in my wheelhouse you know yeah yeah i was a rock cat i was playing guitar i was a guitar player i played played in rock bands and i had my four track i had my long hair you yeah, know what I mean? I like found some good articles and found some old old gems out there on the interwebs. You know, of, of you. Take it, BB. take it easy, huh? <laughs> take it easy out there. No, but but what made you make that switch from the guitar though to the you know the hip hop scene, I guess, or the DJing scene and stuff? It was like Halifax, one hundred percent. I mean, was it? What was it down there? I went out. This is how old I am. I went out there. My first year was ninety eight. 
99. Okay. And uh, Halifax was like, and I, I don't know. There's something about that particular time, but like, if you can imagine, um, Halifax was, you know, classified was coming up. Bastard yeah. was coming, scratch Bastard was coming up. Um, DJ Moves was coming up, who went on to Ghetto be in the end. Ghetto Sox was a little bit later. Yeah, at the yeah. time, at the time, it was, it was like the Goods, um, Gordski, Taichichi, Sebitones, Buck 65, 6'2, Josh Martinez, Scratch Bastard, Caleb Simmons, Classified. I mean, you're talking about a scene that was like really exciting and and I, you could feel that it was exciting. And a lot, a lot of those guys went on to, you know, like a lot of those guys went on to like become Canadian rap at whatever point, obviously we become a classifier. We can talk about the, the institution, the DJ institution that is Scratch Bastard. But like yeah. to be around that scene at that time was like, holy shit, like something is going on here. And um, it was really my friendship with Fester um, who was basically across the hall from me in my first year university who introduced me to everything. Um, in particular, it was the production. It was the beats and the, the vinyl and the DJing and the sampling. Um, and like I said, like I already, I had a four track and I played guitar and I had it and I had a computer, like I was fooling around with stuff on the computer. And so I had like the production and the engineering was already like kind of in my, you know, in my view, like I had a, sense of certain things of that and so we had a really natural relationship because he was DJing and making beats and rapping and I was like I had the four track and I could engineer and play guitar and so we kind of became this thing like we started as the, the extremities back then and uh and we learned everything together and for me too like I, I should say so you're right because you're asking me about like why that why rap I got to be honest with you is, and, and say that like, it really took me years to get rap in particular. Like for me, it was the beats and the production and the, like that stuff really kind of captured my imagination uh, before like, the rap really did. If that makes any sense. And also what I was saying to you before about how like coming up from where I came from, you know, and sort of going like, well, because that was my whole thing like what okay what's going on here what can I do like what's my role you know what's my, what's my place in this particular thing what isn't being done what needs to be done you know like no one knows how to make records yet that's what my crew didn't know how to do we were looking up to all these guys yeah. doing all these things but we didn't know how to make records okay. Sean Fester knew how to make beats he knew how to DJ he knew how to rap he didn't the recording stuff was, I was like, this, I can do that. I know how to do that. Like, nice. I'll figure that out. So, yeah. Now, is that what you went to school for down there? Or not even close? No, not even close. <laughs> I, had, I had one of those. I went, I, it was a multidisciplinary degree out there. Um, modeled after uh, this Columbia University. Columbia University has this thing called the Great Books Course. And what it is, is like you study Western culture from, through great works, right? Okay. Um, and so it's sort of like that you take, it's four, it's like four, it's four classes in one. And you, you basically study all the great works of Western culture. So like everything from like Descartes, philosophy to 
you know, Dante's Inferno, so like poetry to literature to political oh, wow. science. All but you do it one, eh? <laughs> it's cool because you, you do it chronologically. So it's not like if you're in a philosophy class and you just study the, the philosophers in isolation, right? Yeah. It's one thing, but if you if you study like what was so fascinating and why I did it was like if you study okay, so Descartes, right? He's like he's like he's like he doesn't believe anything he can't prove that he can't see, right? And but if you understand why, like, you know, Voltaire, who's writing all this, like, satire, and he's making fun of the king and all this shit, it's like, there was, like, a, a zeitgeist to France at that time, which, was so Descartes and Voltaire are, like, related to each other culturally. But you don't really get that if you're just studying literature in, like, linear literature, right? Like, you're yeah. studying literature in a vacuum. You're not studying, like, it's the same way where we would, like, if we were to study, you know, Drake, well, or or whoever the fuck we want to talk about. Yeah, there's like a cultural and historical context to what everyone, to what's going on and why it's important, as opposed to just like, okay, well, let's study, you know, philosophy because we like to get high and talk, you know, talk about <laughs> bullshit. No doubt. <laughs> you know? uh, so yeah, that's cool. So that's how you got into the university scene, then, and how you got into the music. I had a crisis there. of conscience in third year, which everybody does. If you go into the humanities, everyone freaks out third year and gets into sciences. Yeah. And all the scientists, all the science kids, they freak out in third year and go in the humanities. They're like, <laughs> nice. I'm going to backtrack a little. So I remember back in a little earlier in our conversation, you were talking about like some dark times you had, like just that guy in particular, these people made you feel like really down on yourself, you know, like what were you feeling and stuff like that? What, what do you mean? Dark times? Like, like, like you, you were saying earlier about like people were, taking jabs at you and stuff because you were that rich white kid or whatever, you know, sure. and, and you didn't deserve what you had sort of thing. And they didn't believe you, you know what I mean? So yeah, you were being put down or bullied. It sounded like, and stuff like that. Sure. Yeah. So like, how, how did that make you feel like, and how did you, you know, dig a big past that? Uh, I don't know. I mean, hmm. it sort of comes up at different times, I guess. Uh, I mean, when you're a kid, you get bullied for everything. Yeah, like just, yeah. You know, you'll get the stupidest things you, you get bullied for. I think we're, the all, thing was we're from, all not for me, about that. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Like, for me, when when I got out of unit, when I got out of high school, because um, even in high school, I was sort of in that bubble, you know? Yeah. And it wasn't until I went out to Halifax that you really sort of have the mirror put up to you. And, and people are like, you know, people are like, people rea- are reacting to you in certain ways. And you're like, Oh, what the fuck? Like, why are they reacting to me this way? Yeah. And Oh, that's right. I'm like this, but sometimes we're in the fishbowl. We don't see the, we're not, we don't see the water in the, we're fish in the fishbowl. And we don't realize the water that we're in or whatever it is. Um, for me, it was, was it's sort of what I was saying about with the, with the music thing was like, well, what's my purpose here? You know? Cause like you're going to get bullied and, and fucked around and fucked with. Yeah. If you don't have a purpose or you don't have like, not necessarily, a, you know, it's not as easy as saying if you have a job or a vocation, but it's like, you've got to have a purpose in a crew. If you're just the guy getting shit on in the crew, then you're going to, you're not going to turn out well. It's going to, you know what I mean? So you've got to find some utility, some, some way of like, some way of like owning a piece of the respect pie. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that you. no, so they can't, they can fuck you around with all this other stuff. When it comes to this, they need you. So they got to like, they got to like be respectful look, of look you at a certain level. You. So yeah, yeah. 
so yeah, that was sort of the thing. You sort of get you get ingenuity about it because you you kind of go, all right, well, what you know, what's it? I can't do this. I can't do that, but I can do this. And no, and who? What's no one? What's nobody doing? So yeah. it goes back to what I was saying about you know having the opposite role models. Like for me, if everybody was doing something, it would immediately turn me off. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I've everybody's a fucking rapper. Well, like I don't want to be a fucking rapper, dude. Everybody's everyone wants to be a shitty rapper. They seem okay, to be a great. dime a dozen these days. Sure, everyone wants to be. Well, that's the reason why I'm not. Yeah, because because there was a moment in time, like okay, everybody wanted to be a guitar player at some point too. Well, I okay, I bought, I drank that Kool Aid, but <laughs> but um, but yeah, I mean, I had a lot of friends that wanted to be rappers, and they were shitty. And yeah. I was like, well, I don't want to be a shitty rapper. And I had a lot of friends that shouldn't have been rappers. Straight up. Yeah. I, I had a lot of friends that were calling themselves DJs. I had no business calling themselves DJs. Like, I don't want to be one of those guys either. You yeah. know? So, yeah. so that's how, and that's how I ended up on the pads because nobody was doing it. I was like, well, what's nobody doing? Like, um, by third year at university, this is, this is how much nobody was engineering back then. I had a, I had a little studio basement studio and I was booked. I was doing two or three sessions a day for three months straight. Wow. Out of your basement studio. Out of my basement. And we're talking, we're not talking rap too. We're like, sure. There was a lot of rap, but I was doing bluegrass bands. Wow. I was doing punk groups. I was in a eight piece reggae group. I was like, there was, it was all kinds of, I was doing like uh, audio for computer editing stuff i was doing uh, uh children's software recordings it was like huh. it was all over the fucking place <laughs> um and it was great and you're kind of inhaling it but i, I again i want to keep i'm going to keep harping on this because it really was about well, what's what are people not doing because that's how for example i found my way to like get you know eke out respect amongst assholes <laughs> or i mean you know my friends weren't assholes but the general the general world of assholes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, gotcha. The world that doesn't want to give you shit and doesn't want to respect you and everything else. So after Halifax there and stuff, so where did you find yourself? Where did you end up landing back in Toronto or did you stay down there for a while and own your craft? I was there? in Halifax. Yeah, I was in Halifax for uh for four years. Oh wow. After and, university uh, or no, so oh, okay. I did four years there at university. Yeah. And then I moved back to Toronto. Yeah. I Basically, what had happened was I had a crisis of conscience, uh, and I tra- transferred to the music program third year. Okay. And I failed miserably. And part of that was that I was two years out of any formal training. I was I didn't want to play because clarinet was what I played in high school. I'm going to do that. I want to play guitar. Yeah. If I was going to ha- play an instrument, but I had no. I really didn't have any classical training in guitar, so I was two years out of musical formal training. I didn't have any classical or kind of you know um conservatory chops on the guitar and so my going into the music program when i was i was doing third and fourth year of seminar philosophy classes and then trying to do the music programs and then running the studio and then smoking weed and sleeping with my girlfriend like there just was something was gonna give and so i fucked my music my I fucked up my music classes. I was flunking my girl, my beautiful Trinidad girlfriend broke up with me and I went through a, just a terrible time. And yeah. so when I came out of the four years, I, I, I managed to like cobble together a philosophy degree 
But the key was is that I knew at that point, point, point why I switched to the music programs because by third year I knew what I was supposed to do. Yeah. I was running all these sessions. I was running the studio. I was building the scene. The shit. light switch went on, and you're like, I need to fucking do that. Shit was popping, yeah. yeah. And and like, and like, I was literally eat, eating, sleeping, and breathing it, man. Like, I was nice. like in, I had, a, I had a basement studio. It was every fucking day. It was full of people recording every, so I was killing shit. And, uh, but the problem was, is that I needed, I knew that I needed to, um, I knew that I needed to legitimate, legitimize what I was doing. Yeah, and make it a business. Um, I knew, yeah, I needed to figure out how to make it work. And so, I mean, I took the recording stuff really seriously, but I knew I needed an education. And when I thought about it, I was like, because there were places that I could have gone in Halifax to learn. Yeah. But I knew that the action was in Toronto. And, And it was a tough decision because a lot of my friends... And specifically, I don't put them on blast, but Fester, we had built this like little community and we had, you know, our crew was on the up, like the studio was, was kicking. Um, and then I'm going to uproot everything and move back to Toronto. Yeah. And that was hard. That was hard on our friendship, obviously, which survived. It, I mean, it didn't, it wasn't like, you know, we didn't fall out, but it, it was just like, it was tough. And I uprooted you know, there was the feeling that I'd sort of uprooted what we'd started. Yeah. Um, which sucked for not just for me and him, but it sucked for a lot of, you know, other people that were reporting there and part of the whole scene. Yeah. And now you're back in Toronto and they're down on the East coast. So. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, a couple of my friends went to school in Shelburne to learn about, you know, and I, I went to the Harrison Institute in Toronto, but my whole thing was like, at the time, my feeling was, well, fuck, I've got to like, like, you know, is Halifax a big enough scene to feed this dream? Like what, where am I going? Like I've got to go where the action is. And at the time I was even thinking like, fuck, I got to go to New York or I've got to go to LA. Right. And in your mind, I mean, like if you, so there are those moments of clarity, right. When like, if you realize at a certain point what you want to do, right. And you have a real passion about it. It's like that rocking chair moment, you know, when you're 80 years old. Yeah. Well, I mean, if, if, if you know what you want to do and like the, the, what you need to do, like, I I don't want to preach here, but you've got to go where it's happening and you've got to go where the best people are doing it. Like, because there's no other way to cut your teeth, you know? And so I was like, the least I got to do is move, is get back to Toronto and see what the fuck's going on there. Yeah. And even, and which is funny because of course then there was fuck all going on. I mean, even when you moved back, when this all started for you? I mean, it was a bad year, man. That, that my first, my year, my first year back in Toronto was rough. Like okay. it fucking sucked. And it was, uh, and it was one of the worst years of my life. Right. <laughs> Hilariously. Um, yeah. You know what it was? Um, it was a number of things. It was like, totally uprooting everything that I'd started in Halley. So that there was that. Then there was, so moving back, I moved in with an old friend of mine who's fucking, we loved, I loved, I loved him dearly. He was such a great dude. His father dies. His father dies. His his father was 57 at the time. Dies suddenly while walking the dog, like, oh, like 10 days after having moved into our apartment. So my roommate is basically like fucked from the moment we move into the apartment. So that's one. Yeah. 
I don't know. Like we were best friends in high school, but I don't know him that well. So he's grieving and I don't, I don't know the first thing. I don't know him that well to know how to be there for him. Yeah. Yeah. So for sure. that was a, that it, my living situation was fucked. Right. A mind fucked on you too. Just totally all this. Yeah. It was, that was awful. Horrendous. Um, the next thing that happened was I was in the Harris Institute, which I, so I had 17 classes a week. Wow. Which meant I had 17 fucking midterms and 17 fucking final exams and, Why and, so many and classes papers at and once shit. Or is it just all jammed into one with that? Well, <laughs> this is so funny, but I mean, it, I did it to myself, but oh. this is the thing is the Harris Institute. The reason why I went there is because it had one of the best reputations because a lot of these music schools, what they do is if they're money grabs, they just yeah. want, they want you to spend $15,000 and they'll give your kid a fucking honors role. They don't give a fuck. Yeah. The Harris Institute, they were renowned for being tough on the students. Oh, like wow. very few people, not very few, but like a very low percentage of the people that are in your first, in your first semester are there by the third. Oh, wow. So like in my case, it was like 17% or 20. Well, I don't even think it was one in five. Yeah. of us graduated uh so that was appealing both to my parents who fuck, i wasn't going to be able to afford it they were going to help me through the thing um and i needed a degree worth its weight in gold so but that meant i was fucking dude it was so much work um which was tough the, the one of the other things that was really fucked up about it was i went into that thing being like great i'm going to be in this school which with all these other people that want to do what I want to do. I'm going to meet so many people. We're all going to be together. There's going to be this like great, there's going to be this camaraderie. There's going to be like all these like-minded creative individuals, right? Yeah. Uh, wrong. You're what I, and, and again, like, it wasn't I the didn't crowd make, you were looking for it. Eh? Fuck no, dude. It was, you know what it was? It was a bunch. It was, it was a bunch of kids that were like me that I was afraid that I was scared to be like, right. It was yeah. a bunch of like, well, I was going to go to law school, but this seemed more fun. There were like motherfucker, like there were just there were real like just waste cadet, like everyone was smoking weed every class, yeah, um, and whatever. But like, who cares about smoking weed? But like, fuck, dude, like seventeen classes, like I'm gonna fail this shit. Yeah, I can't fail this shit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no doubt. Um, there were also the other real problem for me is that the rap people, the, the people that were into hip hop, they didn't get me. They didn't understand. Halifax, it's another thing about Halifax you gotta understand. Buck 65. I love that guy, man. Yeah. His his art is not for everyone, no, right? No, no, it definitely isn't. And so if you can imagine, I'm coming from this like le- left field artsy hip hop scene, right? And I'm coming into Toronto. And what, what what's going on in Toronto? It's like you've got West End, like Brampton, Mississauga, want to be gangster motherfuckers. Okay, <laughs> they want to rhyme on DMX beats yeah. and shit. And I'm not. I'm just like whatever. And they're listening to my like art rap beats and going like, "Well, fuck this. I don't this kid. Whatever." Right. So I didn't even really get along with the fucking hip hop people, which yeah, was like probably kicking over, themselves in the ass now. Fuck. Which was a yeah. Which is a real <laughs> letdown, right? Because I was like, oh, "Well, at least the hip hop people. At least I'll get along with them." It's like, nah. Yeah, a bunch of them were. There was a whole crew of like Christian rap kids, and I was like, that hated my shit. And I was like, well, <laughs> all right, man, like whatever. One of those guys ended up me and him become me and Stefan became really great friends, and actually a production team for a short time later. But nice. um, 
a really tough year, man. It was a yeah. fucking brutal year. Did um, it at least pick up after that? Then after your first year back, it was followed by the most one of the most incredible years of my life. And what year was that? Was that back in like the early 2000s? 2003, okay. 2002, three, yeah. Nice. Now, yeah. What projects, you know, you said you're multi-nominated for Juno Awards. What, what projects were you on for those? Did any of them win awards or just nominations? Uh, no, always nominated, never. Yeah. Always a bridesmaid, never a bride. <laughs> yeah. Was there I should say, I should say that at the end of that year, just before, because I want... I, I got the internship with K Cut of the main source, and that was that what's, was like what's K Cut? K Cut's a producer. Okay. He's part of a legendary group called the Main Source. Okay, um, are they the Canadian, main source, American? So Main Source was large professor uh, from New York, who's like legendary, all time legendary New York producer. Okay, uh, produced like a bunch of records on Nas's Illmatic and stuff. Nice. In nice. fact, Nas's first appearance is on the original uh, main source record about breaking Adams. So main, main source was K cut and Sir Scratch who were, who were brothers that were DJs and large professor. And they're like a legendary crew. K cut and K cut eventually went on to become a legendary producer. He produced people. Well, fuck man. And he produced, uh, you, he produced essentially co-produced Madonna's human nature record. Oh, wow. He produced for Shaq. He produced for Fushnikins. He produced <laughs> for Red Man. He produced for, he produced for tons and tons of people. And I became his engineer for about two, three years after when I came out of school. So that, nice. those so years that were incredible. So was there? It started as an internship and yeah, it became a job. I was his engineer for about three years. Nice. So and you were living in New York City at the time? No, he was in Toronto. Oh, he was in Toronto. Okay. Yeah. Nice, man. But yeah. So, so yeah, with the records that you were asking about, uh, yeah, nominated for uh so Decisive's Vaudeville was nominated for Juno. Uh um Ghetto Socks Treated the Day was nominated for a Juno. Both in the both in the same year in 2011. Oh nice. So you produced yeah. both those records or songs? Or? I produced uh so I did all the beats on on Decisive's Vaudeville except one, and then on uh Ghetto Socks Treated the Day, I yeah, I I, I engineered that entire record. Oh, nice, um, man. I'm starting so to the production right. from a lot of different people, but I engineered, I engineered the whole record, yeah. Nice. And then you do that, mm-hmm. do you work out of your, do you have your own studio you work out of in Toronto, or do you work out of another one? Yeah, no, actually, uh, one of the interesting things about those two records was that when I got out of school and was K-Cut's engineer, I, I, was, I was his engineer, and I worked between the years of, like, 2004 to, like, 2006, 7-ish, I was... I was basically an engineer for hire and I was work. I worked at, Uni- I worked at universal. I worked at EMI publishing. I worked, I did a bunch of, a lot of studio work. Um, nice. and I was an engineer just kicking around the city. And then I had a number of really bad experiences, um, in that time. And of course, like if you, if you look back, what was kind of going on back then, like, um, MP3 downloading, you know, destroyed sales. Destroyed you had lots fi- of things, man. Napster started it all. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, five major record companies became four, um, you know, like, and, and if this is a way to think about it, like there was no scene in Toronto, not no scene, but like, if you think about the urban wing of the Canadian wing of one of the four or five majors, like it's not a lot going on out here. You know what I mean? And like what with Jellystone, like what's popping? Like there was no, no disrespect. I Jellystone had some fucking great records, but 
there were just wasn't shit popping off. And so it really was rats on a dying uh, rats on a sinking ship, you know, and there were a lot of desperate people doing desperate things. And it was a really fucking bad time to be in the industry. And I was at the bottom, dude, I was a snot nosed little engineer yeah. getting shit kicked around the city. And it was fucking awful, man. It was awful. I had some, like I had some fucking harrowing, terrible experiences yeah. doing that, you know? And so, Right, really the stressful reason for you and stuff like that. Just dude, I got fucking dark, dark times there. I got strangled, dude. I got strangled out. My my boss at one point at one job strangled me in a chair with his scarf. What the talking about it being Black History Month, and it was in February, and he was strangling me out in a chair, and he was talking about like repar- like reparation lynching me, as it was like a fucking joke, and my, and I'm like f- I'm fucking choking out in a chair. Um, I had people, owe, I, I've been owed thousands and thousands of dollars. Like, I mean, it was such a fucking shit show, dude. Um, anyway, the reason I'm saying all that is because it led me to saying, fuck all this industry shit. Yeah. I'm going to start my own home shit, my home studio, which I still run. Oh, I and, see it all the time. <laughs> and it was, you know, five years later. So that was like, that was four or five years. Of the industry starting out sucked. Then I went into business for myself and end of those five years, what happens? I got Ghetto socks, decisive Juno nominations. That's I did on those your own, right? That's on exactly, your own. Yeah. exactly, and th- that was a big deal too because that was two of the five entire nominations. Like forty percent of the records that were nominated for the best hip hop record in the country, I did in my apartment. Wow, you know what I mean? That's amazing. So like, that's pretty. At that time, man, that for me, I was like, I'm here, motherfuckers. Like, yeah. Like, I'm a fucking problem. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it, and it had been a long journey by that point, which, you know, even then, I, I was still young, but... Yeah. You're still young yeah. until... Well, hey. So, you know, what was your favorite project to work on and why? Your all-time oh, favorite. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. I think... Oh, that's tough, man. Um... I have a lot of them, so I'm going to give honorable mention to two honorable mentions. All right. One to the extre- or the, 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 the first Extremities record was like a real amazing, amazing, amazing time. Um, oh, I don't have a good story for that one, but... Let's, let's hear yeah. it, man. Okay, so the first Extremities record was cool because Fester was working at CBC, and what he managed, he pitched them this idea that him and I would remix a jazz record. And so what happened was CBC commissioned us to remix this jazz record. It was a jazz record that they'd put together with the four best fucking jazz musicians in the, in the, on the Eastern seaboard, man. Nice. Um, one of them was Doug Riley, who, if you look Doug Riley up, he's, he's got the order of Canada for music. He's one of the most incredible Canadian musicians of all time. He arranged Ray Charles records. I mean, he's a fucking God. Um, and so, they gave us all the stem files for this jazz record. And we like, we were just remixing it. But the thing was, and they were going to allow us the publishing use to, to, to use the samples. Right. Yeah. Now here's the thing, right. Is these are four of the best jazz musicians in the country. Okay. And here we come along with our, like our like hip hop parlor tricks, you know? And it's like (laughs) Fester and I were like, we need to really fucking kill this shit. Like, we can't just loop up a bunch of records and put some drums on it. No, we, we need really to go put f- some thought into this one. Eh? Yeah, we need to go in. 
Like, we need to fuck these records up. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so we did, we went fucking, I don't know how many, maybe six weeks went. We just fucking killed, just chopping the motherfucking out shit out of these records. And we submitted the demos. And it was like this kind of like hold your breath moment because we were like, I hope they like it, you know, because like this is their fucking work, you know. The butterflies are going in your belly or whatever. That's right. Waiting. That's right. <laughs> so the word came back that they dug them, but they didn't, there wasn't a lot of descriptors. And so they invited us, they were playing a show. They, they invited us to see the show okay. of them performing the original record that we this had is sampled. before that you just remixed the whole thing? Yeah. So okay. they're playing, they're playing the album live at this, at this show. So they invite us out to come see it. Really cool. So we go out there. So Fester and I are standing there, right? We we're, we're each got beers in our hand, and they're playing the, they're playing the record. So if you can think, picture this in your head. They're I haven't listened to the I haven't listened to the original record in a while. So they're literally re they're reverse engineering the record that I've been working on for four, for six weeks at that point. Yeah. So they're playing. And Fester and I are catching licks that we've chopped up and rearranged and they're doing it live, but like improvising it. So like Fester and I are standing there and we're like, dude, this is a fucking trip. Cause (laughs) I have never, and no one else could have ever had that experience. Like we, the two of us had this like insane experience again, listening to them reverse engineer our record. Cause they're the originator. It was like, Fuck, dude! I can't even. I have goosebumps. I can't even explain to you how, what a wild experience that was. Oh, I bet you have to be um, there to experience that one. Fuck, for sure. man. <laughs> so, anyway, honorable mention for that record. Honorable mention for uh, the Fraction record because that record I think was one of my favorites to make. And but and the winner goes the my favorite record I think overall to make was my record uh, with Matt Labatt, the UFO record, the building a UFO vinyl. I don't even think I've ever heard that one. Off. Right. That one well, next. there's a reason why you don't know about it. There's a reason why you don't have it. And, and it it's because you it have is, the only copy, eh? No. Well, okay. It's a, it's a funny story. The reason why the Fraction is, is the honorable mention here is because the thing about the Fraction record that was crazy and the thing about the Matt Labatt record that I love for the same reason is I, we didn't know we were making it while we were making it. Oh, okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. We were just doing shit. It wasn't... It just came together. <laughs> exactly. Like, Fraction will tell you a story about... Like, he walked into my apartment one time, and he's, and he's rolling a joint, and he looks up at me, he's like, he's like, dude, you know we have, like... You know we have, like, eight tracks done, eh? <laughs> and I looked at him, and I was like, what? <laughs> and it was like, oh, shit. Like, we're working on an album. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, that's hilarious. And that's... But that's why that record's so good. Oh, it was amazing. Opinion. I remember sitting in Fraction's garage with him when that one came out, and it was me, him, Mantis, uh, yeah. Spex, and all those guys. We were all just sitting there. It was like and 6 yeah. in the morning, but Fraction might kill me for this. But he just, I remember this before he even had kids. He's like, he's, he whispers to us, he's like, I'm going to I'm gonna get her knocked up soon, guys. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can just picture him, though. <laughs> that's exactly what he'd say. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. But it was oh, great, though. Amazing. But yeah, just just classic fraction, but man, you know, financial advisor by day and hip hop artist by night. That man. I mean, is, he's man. fucking Batman. That guy, man. <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> I was gonna say that. That's one of the things about. So, but, but that's the but that same reason, and the same. There's so many. There's so many parallels between me and Fraction and me and Matt Labatt. Um, 
because we didn't ma- we didn't know we were making the record while we were making it. We were just fucking around, right? Yeah. And that's when the best shit happens because, and this is a really important this is a really important point that I've made on a number of a number of occasions. But Fraction shares this with Matt Labat. Matt Labat, he's oh, fuck man. How do you describe it? Every small town in the world, okay. At this point, hip hop is old enough, okay. Hip hop's yeah. been around long enough that every small town has, you know, this one guy that's been doing it. He's been. Whether maybe he's a DJ, maybe he's a producer. He's been making beats, collecting records. Maybe he's been DJing. He's been doing it from the fucking jump. He's a historian. He's a local historian. He knows all the shit that's going on in his scene. He's whoever the, every town has this type of person. You know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, no, I know and, exactly what you're talking. And and here's the thing: those people are the most important for me. The most important people in hip hop. And not just because they're our elders and not just because they're historians, but because of one really simple fact is that they're not in it for the fucking, they're in it because they love it. Their love is pure. Their yeah. love isn't tainted by release dates and budgets and all this other bullshit. Right? Nope. And that is the most important fucking thing. Because as soon as you pull, as soon as you muddy the waters with money or fucking deadlines or management or labels or any fuck video shoots and all this bullshit. That's when you get away from what the most important fucking thing about the whole thing is. And that's the music and loving it and having a pure love for it. A love that isn't attached, right? Like you're not, these guys are in love with the fucking lifestyle of it. Right. That's the classic argument, right? Where it's like, you can always tell when a record, when the person, when an artist you're listening to doesn't really love hip hop music. No, you can sure. always tell. It's almost like it's forced upon them when they're in the studio or with their big record label or something. Yeah, they're doing it for other reasons. Yeah. And you can always hear that. And so that's the thing with Fraction and especially with Matt Labatt. Matt Labatt, he's from London, Ontario. We call him Matt Labatt. He got the name Matt Labatt because he knew, he still knows, how to break into the Labatt Brewery and steal <laughs> fucking two-fours. Nice. And so, right? <laughs> fucking right is nice because... Every time we go through London, he, I swear, every fucking time, it was so great. Every time we do a show in London, he would come up to the merch table at the end of the night. He'd be like, yo, where's the after party? I'll meet you there with a couple two fours in about an hour. And we'd be like, bet, right? <laughs> and so, and it's, it's so funny because this is the secret that, of course, he hasn't, he's only let a few other people in the world know because he didn't yeah. want to blow up the spot because then everybody starts doing it and they get, someone fucks it up. Yeah, exactly. To this fucking day, he could probably do it. <laughs> I, I'm telling you. So he's called, let's call him Matt Labatt. Nice. The other thing about Matt Labatt is that he's been digging records like for fucking 20 years. Yeah. Um, specifically, he he would go to the Goodwill. He would go to Goodwill every Thursday morning. God bless morning. those places, man. Fucking I, lo- right, I find eh? some gems there too. Exactly. And now a word from my sponsor. Ellis Original was made to express your support or personal struggle with mental illness. Every article of clothing sold includes a donation to the Waterloo Regional Suicide Prevention Council. Every shirt helps raise funds towards suicide prevention and crisis helplines. Stay safe out there, folks. Well, Matt Labatt found the secret. What he would do is he would go there every Thursday morning because Thursday morning is when all the records... Wednesday night is when the records get sorted. Thursday morning is when all the new records would get put out on the floor, right? He did that for 12 
years straight. Okay? Consequently, this motherfucker has one of the best record collections I've ever seen, nice. and he's never paid more than fucking a dollar for any of them. Wow. Right? So that's crazy. My and dad he was an has early, quite the yeah. extensive collection, too. He used to be a DJ, actually, back in the 70s before I was born. So Yeah. Yeah, he has... I yeah. love him. He had probably over 4,000, still has them to this day, but 4,000 vinyls sitting in his basement, man. Like some gems. I mean gems. You would be God amazed. Love that's right. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's, so Matt, right? Matt was an early mentor of mine. He was an early digging mentor, an early nice. production mentor. And so like, oh, this was, oh, I don't even know how many years ago now, but he, he would hit me up and he'd be like, Hey man, I'd, yeah, I'd love to come through and just like work on some beats. You know, it'd be great to like, just. I don't know, work a beat tape, work on a beat tape or something. I'll be like, yeah. And I was like, man, you know, like I, just, I would never have the time. I was always so busy. And he's like, man, fuck it. I'll pay for your time, whatever. And I was like, ah, I feel bad. He's like, don't even worry about it. I'll come through. We'll fucking have a couple beers. We'll just make some beats for a day or two. And I was like, all right, cool. It was a winter. It was a slow month, right? So he comes through and we start making, what we did was, is we, we decided that we weren't going to like try to make three minute long beats. We were just going to pick a tempo and a key and just start throwing records. Nice. So he would, he would come with a drum break. I would come with a sample. I would come with a drum break. He would come with a sample. I pull out my bass guitar, play a bass line. He pull out the keyboard. He'd scratch something. Cool. He'd bleep something over here. Cool. And we just kept going. And we, and we weren't, we just didn't give a shit. It was just like, we weren't trying to make beats for anyone. We weren't trying to arrange 16s for rappers. None of that shit. It was just like musical movements. It, that's it. Yeah, yeah. And we created these like these crazy movements in these keys and tempos. Right. And then one day he brings me this. He's dig, he's digging around and he, and he brings me this video cassette tape of <laughs> yeah, because he's not just digging in the vinyl, right? He's digging in the VHS. Oh lord. So he finds this VHS cassette tape, and it's a student documentary done by these two kids, and they do a documentary on this guy named David Hamill. Now, David Hamill is a UFO nut job. Or is that the guy that has the UFO house? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it is. So the thing about David Hamill is this is that David Hamill, he has abducted multiple times over the course of his life, right? And during these abductions, he says that he's shown the inner workings of the spaceship. And he becomes convinced that the aliens are trying to show him how to rebuild the engine. So he spends the next 40 years of his life until he dies attempting to rebuild what he's seen during his abductions on spaceships. Wow. And dude, the guy is either a total nut job or a genius. It's really hard to tell because what he starts doing is building, he's uses, he uses circular magnets to create these, these perpetual motion machines that work. Okay, they fucking work. But the problem is, is that you can't, here's the thing. The science, is, the science makes sense. If you were to get three concentric circles, circular disks, and have them spinning in opposite directions fast enough, yeah. you could have lift. And if you could manipulate the fucking tilt of each one of them within, within each other, you could direct the fucking tilt of it, and you could, you could actually move it around. So it's super fucked up. Um, the shit's crazy. So, so is, but is we that decided, where the plan came from for this album? We decided <laughs> that like David Hamill... We were going to build our own UFO. Nice. And because what's a piece of vinyl, but a spinning fucking disc, yeah. right? 
And then the idea was that on the on the A side, we just did it was 16 minutes, and the beats change every eight bars. It just bulldozes through beats. <laughs> and wow. then the other side of the vinyl is all of the samples and drums open, so that you can make your own UFO. Oh, okay, nice. <laughs> That's so, awesome, man. <laughs> it's just fucking awesome, right? Except here's the funny part about it, and the reason why you don't know about this release is because when it came time at the end, Matt was like, "Listen." I'll press it up. I'll press it on vinyl for us. I was like, that's crazy. What do you mean? He's like, I want to press it. I've always wanted to do it. I'll design it. I'll press it up. It'll be dope. I'm like, that's fucking amazing. Oh my God. We got to get like, yo, let's make a video. Let's get it up online. And he was like, no. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, no, it's only available hand to hand at shows. It doesn't go online. We don't promote it online anywhere. You, you can only get it from, from us. And I was like, dude, like, what the fuck? Like, we've got to promote this thing. It's dope. He's like, no. And I'm like, I can't argue with the guy because he's fucking paying for the shit. So I'm like, fuck. Here's the best part of it. Best argument I ever lost in my whole life. I'm on my third pressing of this final, okay? I've sold, I've hand-to-hand sold probably close to 600 of them, 700 of them. I've, and here's the thing. Because they, because they were never online, there's no release date. Yeah, you can only you only know about them if you come to the shows, which or means if you I talk can lit- to someone like I am right now. <laughs> exactly, it means that you only know about it that way. That means that I can press them up forever. There's no fucking. Uh, okay. there's, they, they 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 never they never age. Not to mention the fact there's drum breaks and shit on them, so they're like they're useful. It's almost like green content. Yeah, yeah. So, dude, it was like, there, it 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 is the most. It's the most financially rewarding argument I've ever lost. And you're still selling them to this day, eh? Dude, okay, let me put it this way. Your first pressing of a vinyl is really expensive because you got to pay for all the chemicals that make the metal pressing plates and stuff, right? The dub plates. And the environmental cost is a lot. So your first pressing is a lot. My last pressing, I got 300 of those, 300 of them for $975 American. So it's like... 350 American a piece. Yeah. Okay. I'm I was selling for 25 euros a pop. Oh wow, like when you're in over Europe. on your European tour. Dude, I made so, up like hotcakes. I made so much fucking money on these. Yo, the, here's the funny thing. The first box, he's like when he got them pressed, he gave me a box for free. He gave me a box of 50. Yeah. It was 2 weeks on the road. I'd sold out of them. And I and I was selling them for $20 a pop. I made a I made $1000 like bang and I was like Oh my god! Like I did a fucking Hamilton DMC thing, and all the DJs bought double copies. Wow! I was like, "Holy shit! <laughs> this is a fucking gold mine!" <laughs> nice, nice. There you go. Anyway, it, it's my favorite release for all of these reasons, and like, nice. fuck, man, yeah. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna now do? we gotta go for the double whammy. What was your least favorite project to work on, or least favorite oh. artist to work with? You can pick either or both. My least favorite project to work on, or my least favorite like artist? Yeah, we'll go with the artist. We just did your favorite project. What was your least favorite artist to work with? Why? Hmm. Least favorite artist to work. Oh, let's see. Um.
I feel bad saying this, but working on Decisive's vaudeville was fucking awful. Um, and the reason was that it's not really fair because he's not my least favorite artist, but the vaude, the process of making vaudeville was really miserable because there were press releases going out that I, that didn't include me. Like no one knew that I produced it. And it was like, it was like getting played on CBC or in like rock stations and like getting all this praise and no one knew that I had anything to do with it. And that was really awful. Um, but that's not really his fault. So it was hard to like, I'm trying to think, um, my least favorite artist to work with. I feel like I'm forgetting something really, really big here. That like, it's such an obvious answer. If I just take a minute, maybe it's just because I'm on the spot. Um, Moonshine was a real shitbag. And who's Moonshine? He's a producer and rapper from Winnipeg. Okay. And he's a real shitbag. A bad yeah. dealing with him, eh? He's just not an honorable... He, he, his dealings with me were not honorable. That's what okay. I'll say. Okay. And, and, and the, reason, the reason why it sucked especially is because there was a time where I really looked up to him and I really respected him and he... And he really fucked him. He really fucked me up. He like, he, he did some shit that's, that's like, that was just really tough for me as somebody, especially from someone that you're looking up to, you know, it was like really disappointing. It was like, yeah. And I kind of. Some things you'd rather not discuss. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's not, it's not worth going into details, but like it was, you know, it's, it just sucks. Cause like, it's not that it's like, oh, when you meet your heroes, it's not like he was a hero, but yeah, he was somebody I looked up to. He was a producer. He was also an engineer. So we shared a lot in common. And so I didn't have a lot, you know, I, I haven't, I don't really have a lot of peers in this game. Like there's yeah. not very many independent fucking rap engineers. It's, you know, it's like our, not our anymore. Tri- <laughs> yeah, right. the, the, tr- the trials and tribulations that you go through as one of those, as, as one of these, I, I can count my peers on one hand. Right. Yeah, so for sure. You know what my I think my disappointment was hurt so much because my excitement was so high when when, when I first met him because I was like, oh man, this is my fucking guy, you know? Yeah. Um but you know, I mean fuck, everyone goes through shit. I mean For sure. I'm not mad at him anymore, but you know, fuck. He he really, really disappointed me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was reading through some articles there too. What's the Shambhala or Shambhala? Shambhala. 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 Goodness, man. It is, it is the greatest party on the fucking planet, man. <laughs> it really is. The That's single BC, most incredible party I've ever, se- I've ever been to in my life. Yeah. And you've been, you've uh, participated in it too, haven't you? I've been lucky enough to participate in it. And it's funny because I, I honestly, I really do consider myself lucky because um, it is the... Yeah, I mean, it's the greatest party on the planet, but nice. it's also like, it's one of those things where it's like, it's a tastemaker thing. It's like, it's top 10 festivals in the world every year oh, for is the last it? 20 years. Oh, wow. I mean, it is. It's where like, does it take place out in BC there? It takes place like in the middle of nowhere. It's in the mountains. It's close to Salmo or Castlegar. Okay. It's like it's deep in the mountains. Um, it's a really beautiful, picturesque place. It's like, um, it's, it's sort of... Um, it's geographically isolated and capped. So you can't, you know, 
you can't put 20,000 people in there. It, yeah. it doesn't work. It's so, a small little thing, eh? It's a smaller festival. It's not a small festival, but it's like, it maxes out at about uh, maybe six, 7,000. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. Um, but just, man, like the, the, the people that you meet, the part, like the, the shit that goes down, like the, just the good times, like sure the drugs and sure all that stuff. But like, yeah. I think for me, the thing about that, that thing that really opened my eyes is because I've, I've never thought of myself as a, I never thought of myself as an EDM person. Like I, you know, I don't go to those festivals. I don't take part and I'm not like, I don't, I don't love dubstep or house music as much, you know, those, that music isn't as appealing to me, but it's also like, so, so going there, you have all these expectations. You're like, it's going to be all these bros. It's going to be all this drug shit. Yeah. You know what? It's going to be all these people in dumb costumes. And then you get there and also, and also you're like, well, there's no, you know, hip hop, you know, da, 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 da. like, I don't really love this music. There's, you know, there's not really a place for me. And then you go and it was exactly the opposite on all the fronts. Everything that I thought, all of my preconceived notions were completely thrown out the window. Number one, the drugs. Yeah, sure. There's a lot of people doing drugs, but there's a lot of people taking care of one another. Nice. There's a sense of community there. Oh, nice. There's okay. The whole bro thing. Sure. The bro thing, whatever. Like a new age Woodstock. Hundred percent, man. You're you're part of a tribe. Everyone's taking care of each other. Everyone's looking after one another. Um, it's you don't get that feeling anywhere else in the fucking world. And honestly, like, I'm not a religious person, but I really do feel like that idea of a congregation. Like, I don't go to church, but yeah, that that appeal of being amongst people that that you know that everybody in this room and everyone in this area cares about one another and they're looking out for you. They want you to succeed. They want you to be happy. That is a transformatively powerful thing. Yeah, for sure. And Especially I f- if you're playing that stage and stuff too, and just watching sure. it go down. I mean, dude, even as a fan being there was like transformative like that. So there's that. Um, there's the other thing too, where you're like, I'm not going to really like this music. Fucking dude. There's so much incredible music going on there. I was exposed to so many incredible acts, so much amazing stuff. Not to mention the fact that like, I didn't think there was a home for like some of the stuff that I did, for example. Yeah. Right. I didn't think that I was like, okay, well you want me to play my routines. Like how is an EDM crowd going to react to my shit? Right. Yeah. I fucking went out there with four dance, random story. Friends. I helped, I helped get friends of my girlfriends at the time into the artist camp. And they, they, they were like, yo, we really appreciate it. If there's anything we do, you know, if, Anything we can do, we really appreciate it. You know, let us know. And I said as a joke, I was like, hey, "Well, if you can do a choreographed dance routine for me on Saturday, that'd be great." I like said it as stage? a joke. I said it as a joke. <laughs> yeah. It turns out she's part of a four-woman amazing dance crew from Boise, Idaho, called Corvette. Wow. And she's like, she's like, fucking right. Yeah. When's your set? <laughs> and I was like, What are you talking about? He's like, She's like. I'll get the girls ready. What do you want us to do? I'm like, what are the songs? I'm like, holy fuck. <laughs> this is so happening. I get them the songs. They spend two days rehearsing. We hit the stage. I fucking Hulk smashed 2,000 people like into their fucking brand. Like it was unfucking believable, man. It was like, nice. it was one of the wildest things I've ever done in my whole life. Nice, um, man. I fell in love there. Dude, like I can't say enough about it. I can't say enough. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've saw like your posts and stuff from there so i've always been curious what it's all about now i got you to ask so they explained her i mean it's crazy it's crazy too because like 
sure, you can go to the dubstep stage, or you can like, you can see Questlove rock for five thousand people, or you can go like, like I, I was jamming with fucking Z Trip. Z, I was playing drums. Z Trip was scratching. Like, there's it's just all this shit going on, and it's amazing. Yeah, you know? nice man. Yeah. I think I got one more, and then I got the que- the five questions of fire. Oh shit! Just a bunch of what was it like being invited to the Goldie Awards down in New York City there? Oh, man. Um, so the, the thing that was crazy about it was, so I, my last battle, like, I hadn't battled in a really long time. Yeah. Um, I won the Sound Battle Royale uh, in 2012, and then Where'd that I'd take won, place, in Toronto? It was in Toronto, okay. yeah. It was a live beat battle. Um, I, won the, I won the Heat event to be in the final, and then I won the final. Um, but I had, that had, that hadn't happened. I mean, that, when, when was I in the Goldie Wars? 2017? So yeah, I think it was 2017. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it'd been five years since I've been in and, uh, you know, solid six years since I've been in battle mode. Okay. So, so that was kind of weird because again, I obviously I applied Here's the funny thing is I was on tour with Vec. Vec, um, if you don't know DJ Vec, um, seven time fucking DJ Vec, don't worry. He's a guest coming up soon too with Thug Shells. Yeah. Oh man, oh, he's a fucking monster. He's from my hometown. He's one of the best DJs on the planet. Yeah. If not, like technically the best. But um yeah, we were on a we were on a coast cross country tour. Um we were we did 35 dates coast to coast Canada that summer. And uh the submission deadline, so we the way the tour worked is we toured from Toronto to Halifax to Vancouver to Victoria back and then to Toronto. Your way back, yeah. Yeah. So it was a fucking long one, man. It was 35, 37 dates yeah. shows. And uh, the submission deadline was right around when we were in Winnipeg. And it's like, how the fuck am I supposed to like build and film a routine to submit while you're on the road? Yeah. And then what happened was this <laughs> Thunder Bay, we fucking Thunder Bay, we had a bed bug scare in Thunder Bay. I woke up in a bed and with bed bugs crawling on me and I freaked oh, out. <laughs> And we got out of there. We had to cancel a bunch of shit. We didn't tell anybody why. We said we were sick. We had like, we were fucked. Yeah. And we were like, oh my God. And I, if you can imagine, I was in Thunder Bay in a rainstorm, stripping naked, putting my clothes in a laundry bag, and then getting into a car in a clean clothes so that I could separate everything that had been potentially contaminated with bed bugs yeah. from everything that was safe. Yeah. Fuck. I was like, I'm going to get shot and murdered right now in Thunder <laughs> Bay in this alleyway in the rain, naked. Like, fuck, somebody comes up on this scene. What the hell? <laughs> it's ridiculous. So anyway, we had a couple of days off to fucking submit to the, to the Goldie Awards. Thank God. Oh, no. So we, so we did. And the thing was, Vex like knows A-Track. So I, I was like, I, and A-Track had reached out to Vect because there weren't a lot of good submissions early. And A-Track was like, I need to have good submissions. So please submit to him. Yeah. So I was like, well, he's going to be in, right? Or like, like I know he's going to be in, but I, like, this is my story of my career, is that I'm never cool enough to be in these things. I never get invited to the shit. I don't, I, I'm, I'm not cool enough to be in the coolie scenes. I'm not like, I'm always, I'm always the fringe player because, you know, for the same reason that I was like, I've decided to always not do the thing that everybody else is doing. So to some degree. So I was like, I wonder whether, you know, so Vex may be in, maybe he can help me out. Maybe he may help me get in. I don't know. 
he couldn't do a damn thing. He was like, he's like, listen, A-Track is not going to fucking do a thing. He's very, he's not even going to, he asked me to submit. He probably won't even let me in. We find out in Thunder, we find out back in uh, Sudbury on the way back that we yeah. made it in. So then I went into battle mode and, uh, which was exciting. Um, and the thing about battle mode is I really hate who I become in battle mode because you're you like, consume yourself in that lifestyle. Yeah, because it's ner you're nervous, you're nervous and scared, but you're also and you're also like mean and like fuck everyone kind of thing. So it's like it's the worst. It's kind of like the worst of a lot of worlds because you're. And here's the other thing: there was construction going on in my building from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. every day, and so I would stay up all night working, and then I couldn't sleep during the construction. So I was a sleepless, crazy wreck of a man the whole that whole week. <laughs> Right. And I was doing nothing but, but practicing and building and working. Yeah. And of course you're not making any money. So it's kind of, it's crazy. Cause they had DJ Khalil send us the sounds we were supposed to use. And there's a video from him being like, Hey guys, I made them some sounds for you. It's like, it's in my email. It's like him talking to me. Yeah, yeah. DJ Khalil. I'm like, Holy shit. This is crazy. Um, uh, the shit was insane, man. Um, nice. I, you, you should definitely check out my pad life web series because the three episodes I did were about, were about going. So you should, Definitely okay. check that out because I, I documented the whole check that thing. Out my fans should check that out too. So. But what what happened was is they they fly you down there and put you up in a hotel. Yeah. Um. So I get down there and it's really funny because like everyone's kind of being nice but not too nice to each other. So what is the Goldie Award? So we can let everyone know. Sure. Uh, it's a competition. Uh, there's two separate competitions. It's an event uh, where there's a beat battle amongst producers and then there's a DJ battle. And what they do is they have open submissions leading for a few months leading up to the event. So you basically all the producers make their beat videos, all the DJs make their routine videos and they submit. And then the, the top eight in each group are, are picked and then the eight go at it. And there's three rounds um, in this, in our case, we had to use the Khalil sample. Um, and then we only had, we had two minutes, we had two minutes to do the Khalil sample in an original beat. Um, so think about this. They fly you down there, put you up in a hotel to play for two minutes. That and there's celebrity judges. Well, it gets wilder because you're playing in front of, you're playing in front of a packed house at Brooklyn Steel, which is probably close to 2,000 people. The judges, and the, there's judges that are lining each side of the stage, okay? So I'm literally performing in front of 2,000 people, okay? To my right... To my left is Just Blaze, Manny Fresh, DJ Craze. To my to my right is Diplo, uh, DJ Migas, and uh, I can't remember who the other celebrity judge over here was. Wow. There's Dave East is hosting. A-Track is there. Uh, they're filming the whole thing. They're broadcasting it to the world. And you're waiting to play for two minutes. Wow. And it's like, so it's a fucking pressure cooker, man. It's yeah. like... I had a great time doing it, but I never, ever, ever want to do it again. Yeah, <laughs> it was it's, just a once, like, one, it's a one-off, eh? Fuck, man. Yeah. It was, to, the pressure was fucking crazy. The thing was, it didn't really matter, because just being there was kind of the whole thing. Like, I made top eight, and they flew me to New York. And, you know, I'm there, all my New York homies were coming out. I come out, and nice. my cousins were out, and shit. It was cool. Um, awesome. I, of course, didn't win, but hey, you got the I probably should have. <laughs> you probably should have, eh? I probably should have. <laughs> Who won? That year, um, a producer from uh, a producer from Portugal named Holly. Okay, 
who's fucking dope. Yeah. Never, oh my god. Heard, so. He's a fucking I mean, he's one of those guys where it's like his music sounds like an airplane crashing into the water. It's okay. like it's like <laughs> it's like so fucked up. But it's cool. He's nice. a sound design master. Nice, man. Uh I'm gonna do the five questions of fire, I've been calling it. So but so there's one off questions, man. Ready for it? Okay. Them? All right. Yeah. What's your go to order at your favorite hometown restaurant and what is the restaurant? Uh Hair of the Dog, which is close to me. And my order is uh I get the butter chicken grilled cheese. Nice. With half salad, grilled half cheese. fries. Dude, it's fucking amazing. Nice. I get the half salad, half fries, which they do. I get a side chipotle mayo, and I get my favorite Belgian beer. They have a beer list that's just fucking wildly good. Nice. nice. Yeah. So what do you wish you had known when you first started out that you know today, you know, that you didn't know back then? Oh, fuck. Um, I wish I'd known the importance of uh, visuals. I wish I'd paid more attention and learned how to like, you know, Photoshop video editing stuff. I wish I'd really, cause that part of my game is like probably the most lacking. Yeah. Yeah. Currently. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm grateful to be dating a photographer. So. <laughs> Telling you, keep uh, it close. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what are you curious about right now? Just having a little fun for the audience. <laughs> I mean, the timing is ridiculous because I'm curious. I'm curious what the taste of, you know, fucking air, you know, lake air is like now because I'm stuck in my house. No, um, I'm curious, but no, the, the better question, what am I curious about? Um, I'm curious about season four of Ozark. Yeah. Nice. I, I've, <laughs> I haven't even watched season, full season one. My girls watched all three, but. I got so. my dad hooked. It's pretty nice. funny. And one more. Is there anything I should have asked but didn't? Uh, I don't know. Maybe what I'm working on now. What, what do you got you going on? on? Yeah, what do you what got you, going what do, on? What am I doing? Yeah, let me plug some shit. Uh, <laughs> well, how about should you I plug some give, shit? Yeah. Give us, a little, give us a little taste of that NPC there. Oh, shit. If you, if you got it going. Yeah, I got it going. Yeah. Um, Want to do a little routine for us? Sure. Oh, shit. Yeah, why not? Why not, huh? I got a little... Uh, Until we... Uh, then you we'll know what, though? Here's up. the thing. You know what I didn't do? Uh, yeah, I got, my, I got my NPC going. Um, well, you know about how... You know how, like, DJ Premier and uh, Rizzo went at it, like, a little while yeah, ago? Yeah, yeah. That was dope. That was, like, last week there. Super dope. Um... Yeah, I, I really fucking, I love those guys. And You got uh, something like that coming up? Well, okay, yeah, because I have all my favorite shit. Uh, one of my things is I love, I don't know, I love Premiere so much. Like, DJ Premiere is, like, one of my all-time fucking favorites. And uh, so he's, you know, he's a fucking go-to. And he didn't play, I thought this, this Janet Jackson remix of his that he does that I really love. Um, and uh, um, I basically just remade it. Like, I didn't even, excuse me. I just remade it. I didn't even like put my own flair on it. I just fucking, I don't know if anyone's ever done this, but I, I replay, it's like a cover on the pads. Like, okay. 
I don't know if, ever, if anyone's ever done that of like a a cover of a song on the NPC, but like an actual me just re- replicating what he's done. Like with no I have an actual. What's that? With just the beat, right? No, no, no. I got the acapella. Nice, nice. It's a Janet Jackson. It's a Janet Jackson remix. Let's do this. Let's, let's do this. That was dope, man. Thank you. Thank you. There you go. So before we end it off here, man, I just, you know, give a little shout out and everything and thank you for Fresh Kills. What would you tell the kids? Three things you would tell them positive, you know, to keep up for today, you know, and what to do. Um, Three positive things, you know. Three positive things. I would say, I would say, uh, um, you know, perseverance is the key thing. So like if anything that you do, just do it once a month. Like they'll start a podcast, but do a beat, whatever it is, anything that you do and you do for five years will become something, you know, and don't be afraid of like, don't be afraid of, uh, you know, cause like kids can't, you know, kids can't see that their things are going to be connected later. So like, don't stop, you know, persevere. And they'll be afraid of that. Cause by the time, even if you do something, you know, even if you do something that isn't successful for five years, you're going to be really good at it. But in five years, you'll be, you have skills. Um, I think the other thing is, uh, don't be afraid to be weird. Um, I, I feel like that's easier now than it was back in my day. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't easy to be like a skinny white kid doing rap music, um, <laughs> or just are banging on pads. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's easier to some degree now, but don't be afraid to be extra fucking weird. Um, that's a big one. Um, yeah, the weird shit went, the, the weird shit you know, if like if ten people are making this are doing the same thing, what separates them is the resources and how good they look, not the art, right? So if you're weird and you're doing stuff that no one's doing, then you immediately take you take the resources and look out of the competition because no one's doing what you're doing. You're you're an only thing. So that's nothing uh, unique. Just be be weird. Be do weird shit. Um, and. Uh, I think the other thing, I, the other thing encouraging I would say is uh, for the kids is, um, you know, it's not even that I would say is I'm not worried. Like I, it's not even something I would tell the kids. I got to be honest. I am really happy with. I look at. I'm I'm happy with the future. I, like I look at these these young kids, these young kids that I meet. They're way smarter. They're smarter than I am now. It's crazy how like the times have changed with because of technology. Even my daughter, Dude, at, like five years old, she's mastered snapchat for fuck's sakes 
I'm telling you, this next generation is in good fucking hands, man. Like, oh, yeah. I don't think there's anything I can tell them. And honestly, I'm happy about it. Like, some of the... Sh- Dude, everyone's like, well, rap, the state of rap music sucks. There's never been more amazing fucking rap music or mu- amazing music going on ever in the history of the world. There, There's so much inspiring shit going on. Culturally, we're moving forward. For sure. Um, every, man, like, these kids that I fucking meet that I don't have that, and I, you know, I quote-unquote teach them. I don't have to fucking teach them. These kids, these kids are gonna, the world is in good hands, man. I, I, I couldn't be happier. Nice, man. I appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your experience, strength, hope, you know, and some funny stories and stuff for us all, so I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, thanks a lot, man, and we'll chat soon, buddy. All right, man, much love. Yeah, much love, too. This podcast was also powered by Compass 9 Media. Now here's a word from my sponsor. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo. We believe in thinking differently. We want to encourage people to be creative every day and create the life they want. We do this by helping entrepreneurs and businesses develop podcasts and brand campaigns so they can get out a message to the right people. We envision a day where everyone is doing what they love and create the life they want. 